Welcome to the See You Next Summer podcast. I'm your host, Billy Polahan, and for once, I'm actually not joined by my co-host, Raul Rodriguez, but I am here with a very special guest. Um, you know him as, I have notes right here, um, he is the host of Real Blend and the managing director of Cinema Blend, a father of two, a Charlottesville na- native, and a fellow lover of cheeseburgers, Mr. Sean O'Connell. How are you doing, sir? Uh, you nailed it. You na- you got them all in the right order. Cheeseburgers would be last, but has to be included. <laughs> nice. So um, today, to cap off Zack Snyder Month, I wanted to do something a little bit different and interview um, Mr. O'Connell about his new book, Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack Snyder's Justice League. The upcoming, as of this recording, the Snyder Cut has not released. It will be released in five days. And uh, Sean here um, has covered the entire story from beginning to end, and it is crazy, to say the least. Um <laughs> In your professional experience, because I know you've been doing this for a while, has anything come close? No, not not at all. And that's what really prompted me to write this story, um, to document it down, because uh, there are so many instances that you could point to over the course of this story and say, boy, that just never happens. Starting with uh, a director leaving a blockbuster the way that Zach did back in 2017, you know, this is a, a live action Justice League movie that fans have been dying to see, you know, several of them dying to see it their entire lives, at least another huge component of them dying to see it ever since Zack started uh, his journey with Man of Steel. You know, the, the fans that really bought into the way that he was uh, interpreting these characters. And so when we saw the news break that he was leaving Justice League a few months before it was going to reach theaters, that was a bombshell. You know, that really shocked most of us. Uh, covering the industry. And then when he gets replaced by Joss Whedon, who at the time um, was directing the, the Avengers films for Marvel, you know, that's a direct competitor to what DC was trying to do. So that was shocking. So like on those two reasons alone, this is an incredible story. Um, but then you get into the release of the movie and how bad it was and all the reasons why it's so bad. And um, and then the push by the movement for the past three years to to fight for Zack's version this is unlike anything. I mean, I use the word unprecedented and I, I, it's not an exaggeration. This is literally unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculously crazy. And this is coming from a quote unquote Marvel guy. I'm looking at the background (laughs) and I see your Avengers posters, which are great. And um, all your pops, it's you're a, would you consider yourself like a nerd when it comes to like comic books or have you always um, grown up with comic books? I grew up reading comics uh, my entire life, started reading probably around age five or six, started collecting when I was in middle school, uh, collected all the way through high school and a little bit into college and then fell off reading. Um, got to be really expensive. It's an expensive habit, uh, but, you know, was raised on on comics and legitimately read Marvel weekly um, and then picked up DC whenever they had kind of an interesting storyline and followed it through, but was way more of a Marvel kid than I was anything else. Um, But because of that, it's been, and then I've always been a movie lover. Like I've just been a movie fanatic my entire life. So when I got into the field of journalism, I chose entertainment journalism and I wanted to pursue writing about movies. Um, And it's been fairly remarkable that for the past 20 years, 
this has been the golden age of comic book movies, of comic book adaptations. Uh, and so to have that knowledge and that passion for that type of story and to have it merge with movies has been really lucky on, on my part. So, um, yeah, I, and I love the fact that it doesn't seem like it's slowing down, that both Marvel and DC are figuring out how to continue to tell these stories moving forward, that there's so many more characters you can explore. Um, I made a joke to Kevin Feige uh, in an interview I got to do with him around the time of WandaVision. And I said, what if I went back uh, 10 years and told you that you'd be introducing Kang the Conqueror in your third Ant-Man movie? And, you know, he got a laugh out of it because who would assume you'd even have three Ant-Man movies? <laughs> uh, they're a realistic thing. So, um, yeah, this is a crazy time for comic book fans. And, uh, and I've absolutely been a fan my entire life. That's awesome. And I actually do have a question about you know, being in the industry, I call this the hot ones question because um, this is the one I put the most thought into. But um, as an interviewer in the industry, as well as someone who's just been in it for years, what are some preconceived notions about journalism that most people don't realize or assume that you can easily achieve? Well, that's a really great question. Um, journalists get a lot of heat because they, I think, keep an open mind about how a story is going to develop. Um, it, journalists don't like to defiantly stand on one side or the other, because I think we know that as we continue to explore a story and get to the heart of what actually happened, the story can take several left turns and right turns. Um, that connects a little bit to the Snyder Cut, because back when everybody was wholeheartedly proclaiming that there's no way that it could possibly exist. Um, it's very easy to get on social media and scream something. Um, but, but journalists need proof. You know, we always need tangible, you know, even when I'm holding it in my hands, I still don't really believe it proof <laughs> because we have learned over the course of, of covering thousands of stories that the story can turn, the story can change unless you have, uh, 100% proof. So we we really don't like to speak in absolutes. Um, and so much of, it's not reporting, but so much of this like scoop mentality, you know, of like, it, it's it's speculation treated as, as fact. And you can't speculate uh, and keep your credibility uh, if you want to stay in the field of journalism. It's really easy to form a tweet that says, I've been told Ryan Reynolds is going to be Green Lantern in the Snyder Cut. You know, someone's telling me that Ryan Reynolds. Now, who is the person telling you, you know, and where do they hear it? Like you, as a journalist, you immediately start to ask those questions. Have you seen that he's going to film? And then you start to think about the other side of it. Ryan Reynolds played Green Lantern already. He would never want to bring it back. Zack Snyder would never want to connect his Snyder Cut to that, to that universe. A journalist starts to ask all those questions. And we don't have, um, a side. There's no side. The only side is truth, right? The only side in journalism is getting the story factually correct. And too much of, of, of film reporting, and it's not reporting, is just throwing something against the wall because you think it might be the case. Um, and then getting, and I love when, when people get called out. There, there was a tweet recently about uh, James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 3 where a site, I don't even remember the site, but it's definitely one of the ones that doesn't have a ton of credibility, came out and was like, casting on um, Adam Warlock is beginning, and they're looking for a Zac Efron type. And James Gunn tweets back, and he says, 
casting has not started and <laughs> we're not looking for a Zac Efron type. If I wanted a Zac Efron type, I'd get Zac Efron. And then the, the site was like, hey, look, that's great that you think that, but like our sources can be verified. Like they're telling James Gunn that, <laughs> that their sources can be verified. So we've we've lost sight of of um, credibility and factual reporting, and that's that's kind of where I, I think we're at with journalism. Did that uh, answer your question? <laughs> that's that more than answered my question. Um, so basically, what propelled you? Like, what was the catalyst to write this book? Was there any apprehension? Because I know writing a book requires a ton of research and you've got to be a good writer and you have to have a, you, you have to know about story structure. Was, was there anything that deterred you from writing this book? The only thing that sort of held me up is that when I started writing this uh, a little close to like close to two years now at this point, when I started, we had no idea the cut was coming. So it was almost like having to write it with an open-ended uh, ending that essentially said, um, you know, maybe one day this will happen. But I knew that I wanted to sort of capture this moment because over the past three years, there were so many things happening in the movement and I knew it was important to document them. Um, and I didn't want that time or that moment to fade away. But but I kind of realized that it's like when people write books, the smartest thing to do is to write a book about a subject that is over and done with and is and several years have passed so that you can go back and research and and, and talk to people who are um, who have been through it. Because I felt like I was racing the clock uh, for a deadline while writing a book. And that's far more daunting than I anticipated. Like, I do not recommend doing it that way because it, it's uh, it's it's a lot of pressure. But. The, only, the hardest part about writing it was getting the people in the movement to trust me as their narrator. Um, they'd had bad experiences with the press before. The press had sort of treated them as uh, toxic as a label that gets, gets thrown around a lot. Cultists, they get called um, for their passion and their enthusiasm. And yeah, I think even now, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's pretty bad. hatred that is thrown against these fans. And I know you know firsthand about... Um, toxicity getting thrown your way because you're not always um treated with the respect that you deserve is yeah because I, I know that you you're a legitimate journalist you don't criticize anything if it doesn't have any merit right but that's nice of you to say um but i don't i'm not looking for their respect necessarily um i didn't get into this to earn the respect of the movement, I really got into it to tell their story and to tell it as accurate as I possibly could. And I get asked a lot about their toxicity. And I do, I have said that like, I came into this with no preconceived notions of what the movement was like. I literally came in with curiosity. Uh, if I had learned through talking to them that they were this awful group that they're made out to be often, then I would have wrote a book that said like, holy cow, this awful movement. <laughs> you know, bullied people into releasing their film. But as I got to to climb the ladder of the different people who were involved and really get to hear their stories, the book I ended up writing, was, it was very positive in nature toward the movement because I was generally moved by their reasons for fighting, which were mostly artistic integrity, you know, defending Zach's right to complete his vision. Um, wanting to see, just as a fandom, the version of the movie that they had been anticipating. And from that perspective, I, I put myself in the shoes of them. Like 
I, I wasn't chomping at the bit to see Justice League. I wanted to see how it turned out. But to use these posters over my shoulder, like I kind of always thought that like, what if I finished watching Infinity War and then the Russos got replaced, you know, by somebody else and Endgame came out and was a disaster. You know, I would instantly want to be like, what happened with that movie? <laughs> you know, where's their uh, vision of it? And what no happened? <laughs> <laughs> so um, and then the other one was the was the um, honestly, the charitable contributions for uh, suicide prevention and mental health like that. That was a significant everyone I spoke to early on was like, if you're going to tell this story, you have to emphasize uh, the mental health component and and why we fight. And they made that abundantly clear at every step of the way. And I was like, okay, you guys are leading with the right charge. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to tell that side of the story. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, what were some of the heroes that you grew up with and what lessons did they teach you or still teach you in your everyday life? That's another great question. Um, Spider-Man is my guy. He's my all-time favorite hero. Um, I, I love how relatable he is. I love how I've thought more about Spider-Man in the past couple of years than I have um, ever. And I've read him, I've read him my entire life. But I really, as I've gotten older, have grown to appreciate how much they made that character um, you know, have the have these gifts, have this power. Um, and one of the greatest, you know, morals built into his fiber of uh, when you have this power, when you have the ability to make a difference, that you are obligated to do it, you know, comes great responsibility. It's such a tremendous life lesson, you know, like, you're, you're doing more harm if you have the ability to help people and you choose not to kind of thing. But I love the fact that over the course of his stories, like, they made it really hard for him to be Spider-Man. There's so many times where he just wants to be Peter Parker. He just wants to be a regular guy, you know, and who can't relate to that? But he's compelled by that heroism uh, to keep going. And that's a life lesson that I really try to hold on to, you know, that, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. And sometimes it's really hard to to take the high road and 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 be the be the example. Um, but as long as you choose to do it 95 percent of the time, uh, you're going to help other people and you're going to benefit from other people. I also just love that he's funny. Like humor goes a long way. I get killed on social media just because like, I think what I'm saying is funny and it's not, you know, or it's not perceived that way because sarcasm dies on social media. I love Spider-Man's sense of humor. And um, I also am a huge fan of just blue collar heroes who do not know when to quit. Like my favorite uh, movie outside of the comic book genre is Die Hard because I think John McClane is just an incredible, incredible, you know, like I don't care how many times you knock me down, I'm going to keep getting back up and and keep moving forward. And and that's a character trait that I that I really connect with and, and really resonates with me. That's awesome to hear, man. And yeah, I agree with you about the uh, the blue collar hero because mine is Superman and mm -hmm. he comes from a farm in Kansas. He he's the most every man God. He's the most every man Superman that there ever will be. Right. Right. Like like that's the interesting um juxtaposition you know he's the most regular honest hard-working guy but he's also has every superpower nearly every superpower and is essentially a god amongst men and yep. it's always been tricky to um ride that balance because it's a very hard balance to um to do right and sure. I, I love that you talked about spider-man yes his responsibility is 
very key to his character. And I think another thing is just um, as a kid, especially, I loved Spider-Man as well. Yes, Peter Parker. And now we have Miles Morales. We have Miguel O'Hara. We have um, all these different Spider-Men because of the multiverse, which is incredible. And now we're getting introduced to this and our kids are getting introduced to this. And it's just crazy to think about all of these things and especially, you know, relating back to the Snyder Cut, all these heroes represent a lot of different facets of fandom. You know, Cyborg especially, that's a big thing to have a black superhero be front and center in in a lead role. That's really not been done often because we have examples now like Black Panther and Into the Spider-Verse who have done this really well and show that we can we can do it. It's different and it's incredible. And um, I think there's an element that's going to uh, resonate with the Snyder cut as well, too, that Zach's interpretation of each of the characters, and it starts with cyborg, but it, it also can extends over into the flash and Aquaman and even wonder woman to a certain extent, of course, Bruce um, of that. Each of the characters feels um, I'll use the word broken. Broken might not be a hundred percent accurate, but that they have something that's holding them back. Um, you know, for, for Cyborg, it is specifically, he's been turned into a Frankenstein monster and against his wishes, you know, by, by a decision that his father essentially made. Um, with Arthur, it's it's that being torn between, between two worlds, with the uh, Atlanteans trying to demand that he come back and help them. And, you know, he's very quick to be like, look, that's not my, you're not my people necessarily. This isn't my, this isn't my world. This isn't my fight. With Barry and, you know, having the loss of a mom and a father who's uh, wrongfully incarcerated, like, I think Zach's approach to them really leans into that that notion that there's something about each of these characters that's that's wanting, you know, something. And it's only when they get together that they feel complete and part of a team. And that's, I think that's so fantastic for DC heroes to finally get that uh, interpretation put together for live action. Yeah, um, you literally have a um, chapter about Henry Cavill's mustache and mustache gate. Um, <laughs> what, like, there's so much that went into the story. How do you choose which sides to focus on? Like, there are certain parts of the story that definitely need more expansion. But how do you as a journalist approach this from a writer's standpoint? I very early on put together a um, a template essentially of chapters that I thought would be interesting. And to me, when when I hit on a story that I knew I wanted to hear more about, you know, and really explore the how and the why of it, that led to uh, to me breaking it out into its own specific chapter. Like mustache mustache gate is a really funny story. Um, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's, you know, Henry Cavill had to, he left Justice League after he was finished and he went on to do Mission Impossible. And for his Mission Impossible character, he grew this luxurious mustache and then they needed him back to do reshoots. And, you know, Superman has a clean shaven face and they couldn't figure out who was going to pay for uh, either. So I found the story from Christopher McQuarrie that McQuarrie had worked out a schedule that they would allow Cavill to shave um, if Warner Brothers gave Paramount $3,000, like $3,000, that's all it was. It was like, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think it was $3 million. I'm sorry. 
I think it's three million. But even still, in the grand scheme of things, three million is a ton of money, believe me. But on a Hollywood budget sheet, that is not, you know, a significant amount of money. And so they could have avoided so much if they just ponied that up, but Warner Brothers wouldn't do it. So they had to digitally fix Superman's face, but they didn't do it properly. And it's one of the first things that you see in the theatrical cut of Justice League, and it's shockingly bad. So not only is Mustache Gate a interesting story to me, but it it embodies everything that's wrong with the theatrical cut, which is just that lazy visual effects and a rushed through production job um, and a studio looking at an inferior product and saying, that's good enough, um, is so insulting to the fans and such a slap in the face at everybody who worked on that movie and waited for that movie that I thought that zeroing in on that, you know, was important enough that, uh, that it had to be highlighted into its own chat. That's probably one of my favorite chapters in the book too. Just the, <laughs> I love the way that that whole story turned out. For sure. And I just, I'm, I'm just amazed how you capture these big issues and just like these chapters are not very long, but they contain so much, um, they really do address a lot of context behind it and shed light from from different perspectives too. Um, I know you asked a lot of the fans, especially, and I I feel like that was something that you wanted to do intentionally. And just you also interviewed uh, Zack Snyder himself, which, as a fan of his for many years, I am I'm personally jealous. But that's that's okay. It was it was very good. He. He tends to, I don't know how to put it. He doesn't always articulate the way that you think he does. Mm. Because he thinks of these visuals that are just so out of the box. And it's just like, oh, holy crap. Why didn't I think about that? Um, was it? Um, how do I put this? Um, was there any, um, again, apprehension to get Zack Snyder to interview this book or was there like any nervousness like, Oh, he's not going to do it because he's a Hollywood director. Oh yeah. No, I was incredibly nervous about interviewing him. Um, and, and I've spoken to him a couple of times. I got to go, you'll hear in the book uh, that I got to go to the set of justice league when it was, when he was still filming it back in 2016. Uh, it was a set visit that Warner brothers invited us to. And, <clears throat> and right at the beginning of me putting this project together, I got to go to the set, of his army of the dead movie that he's bringing to Netflix as well too. So I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times, but not specifically for this book. And I was nervous for, for, for very, for numerous reasons. One, I only had 30 minutes with him. And as you could probably assume, there's a million topics that I'd love to get to. So it was almost like prioritizing, uh, which ones do I want to get his comments on? Um, two, and I didn't really tell anybody this while I was writing the book, but in the back of my mind, if Zach didn't contribute to it, the book wouldn't be complete. I could finish it and I could release it. But if anybody picked up this book and they were like, oh, you have a story about Zack Snyder's Justice League. What did Zach tell you? You know, like, and then I was like, oh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I'd, I'd put the book back down and I'd be like, all right, congratulations, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I wanted to get him. Um, but just having him contribute to the book while he's never actually come out and said it, you know, like 
him giving me quotes and his opinions for the book is, is his blessing to me on the book that he, you know, said, like, I know you did this. I'm glad you did this. He told me at the end of the interview, I don't think I included this in it, where he said, I know when you started working on this book and it was a real leap of faith for you because when you started, we didn't know that the cut was going to come. He said, I didn't even know that it was going to come as quickly as it did. He, he assumed that it would be like 15, 20 years down the road, you know, when somebody might do a documentary about it and he'd be able to show some footage for it. So um, he was stunned that it got, that it came to fruition as quickly as it did. And, and really it's because of HBO max. It's because of the streaming service. Like if he was trying to get it into a theater, uh, it'd be much harder, especially a four hour cut. So it's because of the streaming service that he's able to get it out. And, um, and I know he's thrilled. That's actually leads me to another question that I have. Um, do you really think, and your honest God opinion that, if this is successful, that we could see stuff like uh, release the Ayer cut or more things connected to the quote unquote Snyderverse or restore the Snyderverse. That's the hashtag that's going on right now. I know, but it's a big one. Um, again, this will go back to, you know, journalists keeping an open mind. I think that anything is possible. You know, anything is possible. Uh, I think the Ayer cut is a lot more feasible than uh, them mounting new Snyder cut uh, footage, if only because I think the air cut is almost ready to go. You know, I think David Ayer probably has a version that the studio didn't tinker with. And that movie in particular really got swept up in the wake of what happened to Zach and his movie, right? Like it was a, it was, there was a direct hit on Zach's movie and the ramifications spewed out and, and affected David Ayer's movie. Um, so I think David Ayer was trying to do was trying to build a different Suicide Squad movie, and I think he has the footage for it. It wouldn't require reshoots. It would everything's there just to be reconfigured. But when everybody talks about like restore the Snyderverse and doing more um, films along the way that Zach wanted to do them, I I think it, it's all kind of there in the fact that like Zach knows the story that he wants to tell. He's already storyboarded a lot of it out. He's teasing it. You know, he doesn't mind teasing it. I just like to remind everybody that like the logistics of putting together a, a, a story of that uh, scope is not easy. You know, it's, it's expensive and I, you know, HBO max probably could invest the money into it, but it's a question of whether they want to, but then even getting the cast, like the cast is kind of scattered to, to the winds with, you know, Ezra is working on his flash movie right now. Um, Jason's going to be doing Aquaman two. Gal is supposed to do Wonder Woman 3, and I'm sh I think she's got another movie even in the books. Zach is moving on to a another film, too. He's got that uh, World War II photography film that he wants to do. So do I think they could do it eventually? Yeah, I'm sure. But the logistics of it are just really hard. Oh, for sure. And I honestly, I could listen to you all day. This has been really, really awesome. And I wish I could just extend this for like another hour, but I just wanted to end it on saying, first of all, thank you for your time. I know that you are very busy at uh, Cinema Blend, which I have checked out, and you, Josh, Hannah, all those guys are, you really put in the work. Like, right. you tell when people don't put in the work or half-ass it. Like, there are certain sites on uh, social media that you can tell are just doing it for clickbait, and I do not believe that for one second for uh, Cinema Blend. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And I just wanted to give one more question, and it's if you could somehow go back in time, like The Flash, and nice. tell young Sean O'Connell anything as a boy, what would you tell him? 
uh, to watch more movies because, you know, uh, I probably was told at the time that I was wasting time watching as many movies as I, as I was, uh, that was my favorite pastime. That's what I love to do. Um, you know, I hung out with my friends a lot, but often I was encouraging them to watch movies with me. And I was fascinated by every type of genre. I watched everything, horror, Westerns, musicals, you know, no matter what it was, I could, I, whatever I can get my hands on. And what I didn't realize at the time was that what I was doing was laying down a foundation of, of knowledge, you know, about movies and cinema and the way that the stories get told and the way the movies get put back together, that I could turn it into a career down the line. And so, you know, I would tell myself to just keep watching movies and, and probably watch more because eventually you're going to figure out how to uh, turn your passion into into a daily thing that, that keeps you busy and active and, uh, and incredibly happy. So I'll, I'll say that much. Okay, thank you so much. Once again, Sean O'Connell, you can buy Release the Snyder Cut on Amazon or wherever books are sold. I highly recommend it. I I finished it in two days. And yes, it's not an incredibly long book either. Um, it packs so much in about 200 or so pages. And It does, yeah. I wish it could have been longer, to be honest with you. That comes a little bit back to me racing the clock um, a bit, but I'm glad that it captures... I feel like there's a little bit of urgency to it and that it captures something that happened over a, a really compacted breakneck sort of three year period. All right. And um, once again, um, again, thank you so much. I, Anytime. I Anytime. thanked you enough. <laughs> but, uh, um, where can the people find you on social media or any other projects that you want to plug? Because I know there's one that um, that's a very similar project. Oh, are you talking about Spider-Man? My Spider-Man book? I am. Let me get to that in a minute. Um, I'm on Cinema Blend, obviously. I host the Real Blend podcast. So if you like movies and movie conversations, give the Real Blend podcast a chance. It's R-E-E-L, uh, B-L-E-N-D. I'm on Sean underscore O'Connell. So give that a follow. And you can pick up the book anywhere that books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Book Depository, all these different places. Uh, so thank you very much for checking it out. I am working on a second book. It's going to be it's going to take this entire year to write, but it's called uh, With Great Power, and it's going to attempt to document why Spider-Man uh, is, in my opinion, the most popular and influential uh, comic book character during the golden age of, of Hollywood blockbusters and how uh, through the Raimi films and the Mark Webb films and now the transition over to the MCU, that it's Spider-Man who is really, you know, uh, cast a spell over the the comic book genre and and i'll try to explain it's going to lead right up through um spider-verse winning the oscars and the potential of this multiverse spider-man movie and so um it's due to my publisher by the beginning of january uh 2022 and so hopefully it's in bookstores by the end of that year so be patient i'm working on it but it, uh, hopefully it'll be a compelling read well whenever it's finished i will be there to support it 100 percent Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at BeeBusterBill. All the bees are capitalized. You can follow me on Instagram at Billy Batson's Lightning. Nothing is capitalized. And you can follow the show podcast at S-Y-N-S pod. Um, and yeah, just give us a like and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere podcasts are um, listened to. And once again, um, this was this was a big big thing i never thought i would ever um you know interview somebody or let alone hear somebody that has such great stories to tell 
Listen, first of many, Billy. Use me as a as a springboard. First of many. I hope so. And as always, see you next summer. Ba 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 ba.